Good afternoon. We have Asia and Brandon here, and they are with Spectrum Recovery in Sanford. They're the co-founders. Welcome. Hey. hey. Hello. So tell me a little bit about Spectrum Recovery and where it started and how it started. Um, Spectrum Recovery, um, like you mentioned, we are located in Sanford. Um, it started in 2017. Um, with us seeing a high influx of substance abuse in our area. And um, Brandon was a brainchild behind the whole thing. And he came to my office one day and he had this wonderful idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm Brandon. Um, I'm around 36, 37 years old. So around that time, when I was in high school, the opioid epidemic really started to hit. Um, that's when you have all the Oxycontins, the Percocets. And when we was in school, like all of my friends, my peers, they were just going to their parents' medicine cabinet, just getting high. Um, back then, weed wasn't a, a big deal because they had already surpassed weed. Um, so I already knew by the time I graduated and came out that it was going to be something severe. Um, fast forward five years later, um, they kind of like took some of the pills off the streets. And I knew once they did that, that something else was going to come to my town and just destroy it. Um, back then, I really didn't have any funds for anything. Um, still, still young, um, and I had a child on the way. And so, my child mom was de built uh, dealing with substance abuse, and so she decided to get help once our son was born. And so, the place that she chose to go, um, I felt like they didn't really treat her well. They just kind of treated her like a number, didn't really care. Um, she was getting help for the physical aspect of her addiction, but not the mental aspect of her addiction. So it was still kind of like spinning tires. Uh, one week you would do good, next week you would do bad. And it's just it was just like a roller coaster. And so I was like, you know, if I ever run into any funds, ever get any kind of money, I'm going to open up a place where we actually care about you, where we actually want to know who you are, want to know your family, want to know your kids. Like we want to, we want you to be able to speak freely uh, in a non-judgmental environment. So like, that's like my biggest thing. Um, and that's why I'm there so much. I always so hands-on is that I want everyone to step to the door to feel friendly. I want everybody to step in to feel like you're loved. We know, we know your names. We know everything about you. So it's not like you're just a number. And I felt like adding that aspect of the recovery, did a little bit more than just coming in, taking a ticket, sitting there, talking to a person for three minutes, getting your medicine and going home. So that was my big thing. So what is your educational background? Do you have any? I don't. I just graduated uh, high school, went to college for maybe like a year and a half. I uh, didn't really like it. Um, kind of got mixed up in the wrong areas, um, but got mixed up in the wrong areas, but was smart enough to know this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, like I said, I had my son. My son just totally changed me. Um, where I was seeing everything in black and white, he made me allowed to see things in gray. So I definitely, big ups to him uh, for definitely changing my life around as well. So, yeah. So, Asia, what's your background? Um, my background is pretty much I graduated high school, went to a couple of years of college, um, started working in mental health whenever, um, whenever, Gosh, I think I was like 22 years old. Mm -hmm. I started working in mental health, and we began to work with at-risk youth. So I started from working in a group home um, and having around-the-clock staff and kind of managing that. And one, one skill that I do have is reading laws and rules and understanding those laws and rules 
And so I was able to uh, write policies and procedures and understand administratively what the state required. Mm -hmm. So that's like a little knack that I have. And um, so I was able, we were able to grow from there. And so as an, and it is a family business. Um, my mother is also a part of the business and his wife is a part of the business. So wow. we're all family mm -hmm. and um, we're very passionate about helping people in the community, helping people succeed. I mean, from kids to middle to, you know, older. Um, it's always been a passion of our family just to help those within our community. So that's my background. Pretty much I'm self-taught. Um, I can read just about anything that's legal. And read and comprehend. Yeah, read and comprehend. It can break it down to the lowest level that anybody can understand. Oh, that's just saying, oh, they don't want you to go through that door. I don't know why they put all these extra words in there, but that's basically what they're saying. So that has been a plus with us in our agency because I'm able to be behind the scenes do administrative things, and Brandon, on the other hand, is very hands-on and is very much so involved with the day-to-day -day operations of the agency and dealing with the patients and speaking with them one-on-one. -on -one. So that is that is very much his knack. And I much like, and I love it that way. Right. I, I would hate to be sitting around the desk filling out paperwork or going through the laws just to make sure that we have everything right. Because I mean, it's no easy fate to open up one of these things. Um, we open, we was filing for paperwork to get. It took us a year just to get through the door. So, I mean, we had like buildings, staff, we had everything ready to go, but we couldn't do anything because we didn't have any license. Um, but once we got those licenses, we hit the ground running and and I, I love it. Like I've been working with people my whole life. Um, like I said, I'm 36, I've worked in the group home, I did that. And I also do intensive at home with kids. So like I've always been, I've seen kids go from five all the way up to 21 right now um so I, i've seen it all man um i just didn't like what i was seeing the community going right now and not just my community i mean everywhere mm -hmm. i mean because it's a big deal everywhere it's not just in one specific community because addiction definitely does not uh discriminate it has no race it doesn't care about race sex age creed it doesn't care about anything it doesn't care if you're if you're a millionaire, it would just turn you and your family apart if you don't deal with it. You know, it's funny. I'm listening to what you guys are saying, and we share something that is rare. We have a passion. And I think behind everything, that is the most important thing, is Absolutely. that passion. Because this population is not easy to love. Right. It's not, they're not... they're not easy to get along with. And I'm speaking from experience. My son was in active addiction and they lie, they steal, they manipulate. Right. And you have to have a passion to service them, to help them and to be willing to meet them where they are is the most important thing. What are some of the services that you guys offer at Spectrum? Um, we have um, outpatient therapy. Okay. Um, we have two great outpatient therapists. We have um, one of them's name is Sandra, and the other is uh, Lisa. They all have over twenty some odd years working in the substance abuse field. Um, we also do um, group SEOP and SACOP. Um, we have a peer and a QP that's over that. His name is Kevin. He has oh my gosh, he has a wealth of knowledge as well. We also have a peer support specialist that's working with him. Um, he actually came through First Help's program, mm -hmm. and so he we hired him on as one of our staff, and so he assists with the groups. His name is Paul, 
And uh, we also offer MAT services, MAT services, where the doctor comes down, she's down once a week and she sees the patients. We, um, we do urinalysis all throughout the week. Um, so no one ever really knows when their urine is going to be pulled and that is uploaded to the system. So she gets to monitor that and do her medications around that. So, so you mentioned two programs and anybody who just listens, they don't understand what those are. Say up and say cot. Can you break those down a little bit so people understand, you know, what are the requirements and what, what is the process for an individual who is in each of those programs? Um, the SAOP group, that is our group that meets three days a week, and they are there for three hours at a time. So that's nine hours of dedication that you have towards your recovery. Um, whenever you come to those doors, um, our patient care specialist, Tina, who is awesome, she knows everybody by name, by their voice on the phone. Um, she sets you up an appointment to have an assessment. You meet with one of our clinicians. Um, you discuss the different things that we do have available. SAOP is one of those. So the group does three days a week for nine hours, um, nine hours for that week. Or SACOT, depending on your um, your level of addiction, for lack of better terms. Um, the SACOT is our group that is four days a week, four hours a day, five days a week. So that is a 20-hour program, and that is a lot of dedication. Those are for our ones who are more... Um, struggling with with, the, with substance use. Um, and there's a group that's held every single day. And we are there every single day, even by phone. Everybody has after-hours phones where you can contact them if you're going through anything. So um, those groups, I think they're very personable. Brandon is there most often when those groups take place. They're very personable. They build a rapport in group. Um, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's the thing about the group. Um, it's, it's like one big family back there. Um, they bounce off each other, they feed off each other, uh, they support each other, and they also criticize each other when they're doing wrong. Um, but whatever happens back there in the group room stage, in the group room, nobody's business is discussed in the streets or nobody's down, putting down anybody. Nobody is above anybody there. Um, the, Absolutely um, no judgment. What does SACOT stand for? Substance abuse... So what does SACOT and SAOP mean? Um, SAOP is our Substance Abuse Intensive Outpatient Program, and that is a program where the individual comes three days a week and they sit um, for three hours um, while they're in that particular session. Um, while in SAOP, they do address um, case, case management things, employment. They also do things for family. It's all inclusive. Um, okay. And you can bring family to that to that service if, if you want. Because okay. your family is a very big part of your recovery. They're there with you through the whole deal. Um, and our SACOT program is the Substance Abuse Comprehensive Outpatient Treatment. That program is five days a week, four hours a day. And that's a total of 20 hours a week that you are to be dedicated to your recovery. Um, we are well aware that some days some people may not be able to make it, but it is extremely important that you call in and you speak with the peer, that you speak with the person over the group and let them know what's going on with you and why you're not there group because you have to be accountable because you have other people in the group that are like, hey, where's Johnny? You know, I ain't seen him in two days. So it's, it's very good for accountability. 
Um, once you are done with those programs, because the SEAP group only lasts for 30 days, that is 30 days that you are in there three days a week, um, three hours per day. That one, like I said, is for those who are um, not as, they're more towards the end of their recovery or have been in their recovery for a while. Um, that group, is, like I said, is 30 days. The other one is 90 days. The SACOT group is 90 days. It's more intense. It's more intense. And once you get done with that, or once you get done with either of those groups, you step down to individual therapy. Okay. That individual that therapy is once a week. You're coming in, you're having talk therapy with your therapist for 60 minutes. And it's no one new. It will be people who you already know that are at the clinic because everyone participates in the groups. Everyone participates all throughout the building. And it's very small staff, and we are very hands-on. That is a plus. So you're never going to be forgotten about. Um, no one's ever going to forget your story because we are so personable, and um, which makes it a great program being very personal. Like I'm sitting here thinking and, you know, it, it really lets you know that recovery, that's the beginning steps, right? You know, one's 30 days, one's 90 days, but that's really where a lot of progress can be made. Right. Absolutely. And that's, those programs are so vitally important. A question that comes to mind is, I'm sure some of these individuals have legal issues. Are any of the clients that you work with, are they mandated by the courts to be there? Or are these choices that they're making on their own? Um, we have had cases where they were mandated to come. Um, and then we have had some that they did get into legal trouble, but decided to come because it was in their best interest. But they wasn't, let's quote unquote, mandated to come. But they just felt like it was in their best interest to come. Um, so it would look a lot better when they did go in front of the judge. So Those that you see that have been mandated okay. and those that you see that are there by choice, do you see a difference in the outcome? Oh, yeah. Or is it they're mandated, but once they get into the program, they recognize things? <clears throat> well, that all depends. Uh, that can go either way. Um, sometimes they get mandated and they realize, you know what, I should have been doing this the whole time. This is really what I want. Um, sometimes they get mandated and it's just a smoke screen. Um, it's just to get them by so they can get out or get out of trouble and continue doing what they're doing. But we're so hands-on that, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. It shows itself. Right. Um, so once we see those people that throwing up the smoke shadows, I normally pull them to a side, talk to them, uh, see really what's their plan of action what are they really trying to do um so yeah it can it definitely go either way and a lot of times we do have people come from dss um yep. you know they they're referred by dss because of something's going on in the home and sometimes they show hey dss is about to tell you my kids i need to go through this program and you see i'm getting help like you said you do have those who are serious and then you have those let me just do this so dss can get out of my business Right. Um, so um, but like, we're pretty good about sniffing out who's who. Nevertheless, we treat them the same. Right. Um, but we will call you on your stuff. And don't you think that's the piece that is so missing in so many different areas, especially when dealing with this population, is there are those that are, yes, they're trying to trick the system or get one over on the system, but they don't have that self-worth. They don't have that self-value. What I see nowadays is 
they're starting an addiction at such a young age that they don't know what they don't know. And so it's all they've known their whole life. It's generational. So when they're showing up from DSS or being where it's being mandated, when they see individuals who actually care, they may not change at that moment, but it may come down the road. You know, it, that's where I see it may be six months down the road. It may be a year down the road, but you plant that seed and it comes back. Now, the other program that you talked about is MAT. What does that mean? Um, That is Medicaid, Medicaid assistant treatment. Um, That is where the individual is prescribed, um, depending on their addiction. um, Suboxone is one of the main ones that's prescribed at our clinic. And what that does is it, it it's an inhibited blocker, if I'm saying this correctly, and it blocks like the triggers that it is for individuals who have opioid addiction. Opioid addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, our doctor, like I said, we take urinalysis throughout the week, and so the urine screens shows the doctor um, how much have you been taking your medication? Are you selling your medication? Right. Um, what are you doing? So, and then it it. You start off at a certain point, and then the whole premise is to let it decrease over time so that you are eventually off of that altogether. So um, that is the perfect pre-story that everybody wants, but throughout that journey, there's going to be bumps, there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. We know some days or some weeks, some people's urine is going to look like a bag of Skittles. That's what we call it because right. there's everything under the rainbow that's in his urine that was supposed to be in the urine. But I mean, like our agency and our and our staff are like, we work with you. We don't expect you to be perfect. We don't expect this urine to be clean. We don't, you know, 100%. It, it takes time and it takes progress. I mean, it just, everything just happens over time. So um, that is monitored. But one thing we will not tolerate is you not trying and you're not taking your medication. If we can look and see everything else is in there, you better believe we can look and see are you even taking what we prescribe. Right. Um, and so um, that is that is that part of the, the program. How many patients do you have currently in your MAP program? I'd say we probably have about six. 60. Yeah, about 60. Okay. About 60. And what do you think your success rate with that is? Well, considering the uh, pandemic, before pandemic, uh, the success rate was way better. Um, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's because people, I don't know why. Um, I could, maybe because, you know, it was less stressful then on um, the stresses of the pandemic right now, have people in the house um, with more money um, and a few other factors that lead that uh i guess enable your recovery so um yeah uh and you're saying that very kindly right absolutely (laughs) absolutely um so right now it's still a great success rate i mean nevertheless i mean if you just turn one i mean that's great success but uh i don't know um it's, 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 it's kind of hard to, to tell, right? Yeah, because nobody, that. nobody is perfect. Correct. So, um, we may have a per- we had a person that's been there for a year or two and been clean the whole time. The mister had a bad weekend and backslide. Um, so now do we hold that backslide against them and say, hey, 
all right, so you're still an addiction because you did this. So I still consider that a success story. I mean, they went the whole year and a half, no problems. They had an accident, but you, it's what you do once you slip up. Now, if you slip up and continue to slip up, then we have a problem. But if you slip up and you own up to it, you recognize what happened, recognize your triggers, then you move on to your sobriety, throughout the life of your sobriety, it's a different ballgame. So um, as long as we have more good days than we're having bad days, yeah. I feel like that's a win. And anytime they come through those doors, that's success. Right. Because, um, this population, I mean, sometimes it's hard as far as follow-through. Right. Um, that, has, that has been a struggle and can be a struggle for some people, just following through. And once we see you come through them doors, oh, my gosh, that's success. You know, we'll say, hey, where you been? I mean, and that's how you greet it when you come through the door, not sign in. No, it's, where you been? I've been calling you. You know, that type of atmosphere. And then it's, oh, I had to do this. Now, come on back. That's how that's how our agency is. It's not, you know, we don't poke shame. We don't make fun, make light of. But, hey, we know you've been missing in action. Come on back here. You know, so. And I think that that's a piece of recovery right. is that there are going to be those that relapse and that relapse could be a weekend. That relapse could be two weeks, mm -hmm. 30 days, 60 days. We don't know. We don't know what everybody's triggers are. We don't know how someone's going to react to that trigger getting hit if it hasn't been hit once They've been in recovery. You just, you don't right. know. And the fact that you're so welcoming and saying, hey, it's okay. Mm -hmm. That's got to be such a powerful tool. Uh, yeah, because we get, we say, oh my God, I thought you was going to be mad at me. I, no, man, we're not going to be mad. It's all good. It's cool. I'm glad you're back. Let's just make sure you don't leave anymore. I mean, we, we know no one is perfect. We know this. And then I tell them this every day, especially... If it's someone I haven't seen in a while and I know they should be here, it's like, dude, I'm not upset, man. It's okay. Just help me understand so I can help you better. So it's with, just like she was saying, it's never putting anyone down for shame. It's never belittling anyone. Uh, we're just here for strictly support. We're just here to support you. And because, like she said, once you hit those doors, we know that that's going to be a sober day. Right. You're not going to use that day. I don't know what you're going to do tomorrow. But once you hit these doors, I know you're not going to use the day. So. I think it's got to be an encouraging thing when they do come through the door and it's like, today's a good day. Mm -hmm. And each day can get a little bit better. Absolutely. Um, Lee County has been hit really, really hard since the pandemic. Um, it's a county that I work in daily. I have fallen in love with the people in the county. Um it breaks my heart that we are at such a high rate for overdoses. Yeah. Um, we've actually gone down in overdose deaths, but we are increasing in the overdoses. Absolutely. Well, we had over a hundred thousand overdose deaths this year. Right. From what, April to May? Right. Just in one year. And that is outrageous. I mean, from the numbers for the prior years. Well, I know that, in 2009, between 2019 and 2020, they doubled. And then from 2020 to 2021, we doubled again. Okay. And just, and those are just overdoses that we're aware of. Right. There are so many that we aren't aware of. You know, we're working in the jails. And when we talk with an individual, that's what I always ask. 
Have you ever overdosed? If you have overdosed, did they call EMS? Was law enforcement at the scene? It shocks me how many are overdosing where nobody's called. Because right. if everyone's scared, they're going to get in trouble. Correct. So that's another thing. People need another laws. And right. The things surrounding your substance abuse. Like, because from my understanding, if you call Johnny to one help for overdosing, and you actually have drugs on you, you don't get in trouble. You don't get in trouble for the drugs or get charged for the drugs. Now I don't know how one percent true that is, but from what I've been hearing from other situations, that's pretty much what it is. They just want you to call and get the person help, no matter what you got going on with you. So I definitely think uh, that's important. For so people, people to know. need to be aware that there is the Good Samaritan Law, right. and that right. law states that if if you, Brandon, were overdosing, and I call nine one one and I have drugs on me, you're correct. I would not get in trouble if there were drugs present. However, if you have a warrant, if I have a warrant, that supersedes everything else. Okay. And that's okay. where we have to understand right. where somebody does get arrested. It's not for what's present at that moment. It's for the bigger picture. Right. And so, and that's fair. Police have to do their job. Absolutely. And we have to respect that. But we also have to respect the life. Mm -hmm. And and that's, to me, the most important thing is if someone's overdosing, we need to make sure that when they come to, do you understand what happened? Do you want some help? So I have a personal question. Okay. You have a very strong passion about this. Is there addiction in your family? There was. Okay. There was addiction in, in our in our family. My dad, our dad, I say my dad, our dad was um he was a drug addict and in his era it was crack. Right. So um that was really we saw a lot like as far as what addiction can do with you. Like you can have a good job, great family, um, but be the working drug addict. Um, function. How function. function. Um, you know, like still pay the bills, still keep a roof over your head, but when you make extra money, you tend to go out there and splurge a little bit. And so it became like the demise of of our parents' marriage because of the addiction. Um, so yeah, so we we've been able to see what it does to families. Um, like I said, you can have like the perfect family, uh, what we consider perfect mom, dad. Both parents work, you, you know, you got the latest everything whenever you're young, you know, um, you're not really struggling. But then whenever one of the parents hits addiction, things start to happen. Um, bills stop getting paid or stuff start getting missing whenever it gets like really um, out of control. And I personally, my personal experience was I was married to an alcoholic. My last husband was an alcoholic. Um, so that was another thing. So and it kind of like weird. You're working in substance abuse and you were married to an alcoholic. You know, so it's like one of those things that you see but you don't see. Addition Everybody else can see, but but you're not seeing it. Addition does not discriminate. It doesn't, Brandon, it doesn't. It does not care. It does not care. It doesn't matter if you're making $300,000 a right. year or $3 a day. Okay. It It is generational. Mm-hmm. Um, many times it's trauma-induced. And what it does to the families breaks my heart. And the kids see it. Oh, like, yes. Uh, once your kids hit a certain age, you can no longer hide those things. And right. The kids start to pay attention. They start to notice dad and mom is falling asleep here. Dad and mom is 
smelling like something I never smelled before. Mm -hmm. Like kids start to notice it. And kids talk. Kids will tell their friends. Kids will tell the teacher. Kids tell anybody that will listen, and which brings a whole other dynamic to your family. So now that you're doing stuff in your home around your kids, your kids go to school. Tell the teacher. I see my dad or my mom with this or. I seen my mom and my dad nodding off. Now you have an, another situation at home. So just be mindful of the things you do in front of your kids, that, um, for sure. I, I don't disagree. I agree 100%. Um, I recall a situation where the little girl said, my mom is sick a lot, and mm -hmm. she has to use special medicine so that she feels better. And it brought tears to my eyes because... I knew what she meant. Right. And she was old enough to remember. And it just breaks your heart what these kids are seeing mm -hmm. because they're being exposed to stuff and numb right. to where it's, oh, it's no big deal. It's, you know, it's just the norm and it shouldn't be. It right. shouldn't be that way. Kids are being forced to act, being forced to play a bigger role than their age right now. Um, I've seen kids being parents, which is ridiculous. There's no reason why a 12, 13 year old kid should be parenting the parents. Um, but you know, things happen. I mean, yeah. And don't you think it's those situations? It's that's where it's generational. Absolutely. It's, mm -hmm. you know, that's what, if we really sit down and do studies and look at the situation, especially something like that, it's going back several generations and, you know, talking to individuals, that's a question I always ask, you know, were your parents in active addiction? Were your grandparents in active addiction? Mm -hmm. And you find that it does go back to grandparents, great grandparents. Right. And you realize you don't know what you don't know. And this is all they've seen. And this is all they know. So how do you, how do you stop that cycle? You got to stop it somewhere. Right. And who has the courage to do it? Right. So if you could, if you could share something with Lee County that you would want them to know about spectrum, what would that be? You're not alone. Right. You're not too low that we can't reach. Nothing that you did should be, nothing you should be ashamed of. You're not the first person to do it, who did it. You're not going to be the last person who does it. But you can help somebody else on their journey. And don't you think when I talk to someone, whether they're in jail, whether they're in the hospital, the first thing I tell them is you're worth this. You're worth this. Because I don't think they believe it. They, you're absolutely right. Yeah, you definitely have to have self-worth. And they, and they don't have it. And you think about where they are. They're at the lowest point of their life. And you said it a minute ago when you said, you know, when someone disappears and they come back and they say, oh, I thought you would be mad at me. That's how they think the world views them right. is absolutely. that. Oh, you're mad at me because I messed up, or I, messed up or I made a mistake or this is how I'm living. And when you tell them you're worth fighting for, you're worth helping, 
you, I usually get tears. Yeah. Because they don't. They, you've got to encourage them. They don't believe it. Right, and they they haven't heard it in so long. Right. Um, they may not heard they that someone loves them since they was a kid. Like it's, it's that emotional connection that you have to have. Um, if you can't make that emotional connection with the person and actually kind of feel what they're going through, you, you're not going to make it in this business. I mean, you 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 have to you have to you just have to. Not necessarily say you have to bend through drug addiction to make it through this, but you have to be sympathetic and understand. Empathetic, and you just said it, Asia, is that you've got to have that passion. Got to. And you've got to meet them where they are. You've you got force to. force anybody to do anything. Just like you said, you're going to meet them where they are. I like that. Do you guys, um, I know with a consortium, a big piece of what we do with the peers is when we're working with individuals who aren't ready for recovery, we work with them on harm reduction. Is that a piece that you guys work with as well? No, that is not a piece that we um, have dedicated a lot of resources to. Right. Um, that is something that I, I honestly think that we need to work on, um, that harm reduction piece. So, yeah, I could see that in our strategic plan as an agency moving forward, that we incorporate that within within our milieu and our treatment that we have from Right. Is there anything else that you want to share with our audience? Uh, Good man. I mean, he has the street smarts. I'm telling uh, you. Just, you can come in anytime. Uh, you don't have to make an appointment to stop in. Um, we're located in Sanford 201 Commercial Drive. Uh, stop in anytime you want to speak to me. I'm always there. Just ask for Brandon. And I know, Asia, I will email you if someone asks or they're looking for Matt in, in Lee County. Um, we've worked well. And the consortium has helped individuals who... Right can't afford it. Right. We do have a time limit and we do have um, protocols that we have put in place that work, mm -hmm. that they have to abide by on our end as well as your end. Right. Um, so if anybody is interested in um, coming to the agency and getting started in MAT and they're scared, all they have to do is pick up the phone and Just call it. you. Just pick up the phone. Okay. Well, I really want to thank you guys for coming in and sharing your story and sharing your passion. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure.